Welcome back to the Inside Podcast. My name is John, aka the Line Snorter. Hey, stop being so fucking lazy. All you do is eat and uh, snort lines. What is that? My mic was like in a weird position for that. I don't know why I pushed my mic so far back, but we're not going to re-record that because it's already getting really late and I need to go to bed because I have an 8 a.m. class tomorrow. But yes, it is August 11th, Thursday, in fact, August 11th. Hope you're having an absolutely amazing day. As always, hopefully the sun is shining wherever you are because it definitely was not shining here today. Like, it was absolute downpour (laughs) for like most of the day and the thing was it was so hot that like the second it started raining the humidity went straight up through the roof i'm talking like you step outside the air is thick bro you could walk on it straight up you could walk on the air it was thick it was gross (laughs) absolutely hated it but yeah, hopefully weather is nice wherever you are, and hopefully you're having an absolutely great day. How is my day going? It's going splendid. Listen to this. So you may remember, okay, from yesterday, I talked about uh, the college class lottery, a little thing that I made, and uh, when I'm talking about that, I got the idea to do roulette, and I said that I was going to finish the lottery game before I got into roulette, I would just take the skills that I got, or the things that I learned from making that lottery game, and make the roulette game. Well, my plans kind of changed. Because uh, when I got to class today, I opened up the college class lottery. It just wasn't feeling it anymore. You know, it just wasn't interesting. It kind of lost its luster. You know what I'm saying? Because, like, I knew what else I could be doing. Right? I knew the other idea that I had that was going to be bigger and cooler than this. So I just really wanted to get started on working on that. So I started to work on the roulette game. At least I consider it. <laughs> I was trying to figure out how I'd go about it. But like the thing about roulette is that there are so many possibilities of like how you could win and bet and whatnot. And that's a pretty daunting task to handle right like i wasn't really sure how Ooh, i just got an idea <laughs> i actually just got an idea but i still wouldn't okay whatever we're not gonna get into that but yeah it, it, it was a pretty daunting task to figure out how i would make all those possibilities done i got get all those possibilities done so you can like actually bet and play it the way it's supposed to be played uh so i decided that i would put that off for later and figure that out later I would work on something uh, a little more manageable, I guess you can say. Now, the easy thing that I could have done was make blackjack, right? Because blackjack is, like, super easy to make. It's, like, a pretty beginner's intermediate project that, like, (laughs) everyone kind of gets recommended. Like, when you learn how to code when you first learn Java and whatnot, you want to, like, make a product or a game or whatever. Blackjack. It's super easy to do. Uh, But because of that, I just didn't want to do it. I didn't want to start out with something so simple, like, like you don't want to get out in the thick of it, but you don't want to get too thick into it with, like, roulette and stuff like that. So, I settled on a classic game of poker, right? And that's why I decided to work on today, because poker is pretty complex. I mean, it's pretty basic, but it can get complex, right? And uh, I got pretty far into it. Essentially, what I did was, like, I created a text file that had, like, all 52 cards in it, and that was, like, my deck of cards. Each card is essentially labeled, like, 
one age, which is one of hearts, two age, two of hearts, all the way up to J H K H. I skipped Q <laughs> Q H, and then repeated for the other three suits. And there's 52 lines, 52 cards. Works out pretty great, right? And so then, what you can do, at least what I have so far, is you can place a bet, right? And you'll get dealt your two cards, and then there will be three cards dealt to the table, just like regular poker. You can then decide whether you want to raise your bet, uh, call. Uh, there really is no point in checking because there is no opponent, so you can't like match <laughs> a raise or a bet because there's no one else betting but yourself. But you, it's there. Eventually, I might get into that. Uh, but of course, you know, if you call, then the next card gets dealt to the table, and you can make the decision again: raise, call, check, uh, and then the last card gets played to the table. Yeah. Or you can raise. That's also an option that I mentioned. And it'll like check to make sure you raise correctly because you have to raise more than the original bet. Also, it'll check to make sure that you have that amount of money in your bank account in order to bet that like a little made up bank account. And if both of those are true, then your bet is raised and the game continues. Right. And then like each time you make a bet or a raise, whatever, it gets deducted from your bank. It's kind of cool. <laughs> But then there's more, okay? So then if you play to the end, like you would in regular game of poker, it'll then check to see if you have anything or if you want anything, right? And that's essentially where I'm at right now. It's like I have the actual like game function working, like the whole like dealing of the cards uh, and whatnot and that whole process. Now I'm working on like getting the actual combinations. Because this is kind of the hard part, really. Because I have to find a way to like code in like how to check for certain combinations that's kind of kind of tricky a little bit i started with the easy combinations which are like the pairs so like it'll check if you have a pair uh two pairs or three of a kind and those are pretty easy because all you do is check the number on like each card it's like if it's a nine of clubs i don't care about the clubs all i'm caring about is a nine i can just check to see if that's on the table or not. And you can count up how many matches you have. That gives you one pair, two pair, three pair, uh, or four of a kind, but I haven't gotten four of a kind yet. Uh, but then what I need to add is four of a kind, of course, then flush if they're all the same suit, like if they're all clubs, or a full house, which is a three of a kind and a pair, a straight, which is a five card sequence, like one, two, three, four, five, doesn't matter the suit, then you have a straight flush, which is a five-card sequence with the same suit. And you have a royal flush, which is a 10 to an ace, all of the same suit. And that's like the highest. That's an order of like ranking, I guess. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much it. But once I get all that stuff done, though, then I can like work on handling like winnings and stuff like that. Like how much money you would get back uh, if you won, depending on how you won. And it add to the bank. And then maybe after that, make it like an opponent that I can play against and, you know, add some logic to it. So it knows like when to raise, check, call or fold or any of that stuff. And then boom, we have a fully functional text-based poker game. That's kind of cool. <laughs> and then like I can repurpose the college class lottery. into like a, a different poker game. Maybe I'll make that into roulette. Maybe I'll make it into blackjack. I don't know. Because see, I can use the same quote-unquote deck of cards because it's just like a text file so like for any game i can just reference that exact same file and i could use the same deck for every single game that i make that requires cards 
and then like once I do that, I'll essentially have my very own text-based casino. And then I can add more casino games as I figure out how to make it. But like it's 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 my own text-based casino. <laughs> and then to like really make it like a casino casino. I'll make the bank like its own independent thing. So that way the amount of money that I have will be consistent across like all the games that I play in the casino. That's just epic, bro. This <laughs> is just, just kind of cool. It's cool to me at least, okay? I think it's pretty dope. And it's gonna be fun. <laughs> like I was so focused on this like the entire day. Like I completely tuned out my classes. <laughs> like I was just so like just in, like, entrenched in making this because like the actual making of the poker process although I said like making the combinations is the hard part the actual making of the poker process like, that that was kind of hefty <laughs> it took a lot of figuring out uh, to do ended up being I don't have the file open anymore I think it's like 160 something lines just for the poker process that I do the combinations but yeah just tuned out my classes. <laughs> like when classes ended, I was genuinely so surprised because I, because like the first day of classes, they were dragging on a little bit. They were definitely dragging. Today kind of just flew by. Absolutely loved it. <laughs> like, I guess I have to get better at like splitting my focus as classes get into, you know, more important stuff. Uh, or, you know, I could just focus on my classes. That's also a pretty great option. <laughs> Don't probably should have to worry about splitting my focus between doing this and my classes. I should probably just focus on my classes, but yeah, we'll see. <laughs> I guess we'll just see how all that stuff goes. But with that, let's hop into the episode. Okay. So two weeks ago. I mentioned that I hung out with an old friend of mine. That's how the whole Apple store of lung cancer story happened. Uh, I told that last Saturday, two Saturdays ago, somewhere. (laughs) But uh, after that whole Apple store of lung cancer experience happened, uh, we went down to the food court, got something to eat, and we got to talking. And he was, uh, you know, updating me about just the things going on in his life, uh, where he's at. Or he's at mentally, all that kind of stuff. You know, the kind of stuff that bros talk about when they're together. <laughs> but a good bit of the stuff that he was saying sounded very similar to like the Red Pill and MG Tao philosophy slash ideology. Right? And I've talked about that stuff before in a Let's Talk episode a couple months ago. And that episode, you know, I shared my uh, problems that I have with like those movements, I guess you could say, or ideologies, uh, you know, I don't necessarily agree with them, uh, and when I was talking to my friend, and I was hearing this stuff, I didn't want to start, I didn't want to start, uh, like, a debate on it, uh, so I generally just left it alone, and just listened to what he had to say, and what he was saying, and, you know, here and there, I would, you know, counter some of his points, and we ended up having a pretty solid conversation, you know, on the matter, not like a debate, but just an actual conversation, uh, you know, I explained to him my point of view and where I land on the matter, and he explained his, and we discussed it, and we moved on, you know, kind of how bros do, <laughs> but a few days ago, he sent me a link to a YouTube video, it was called 10 Data, or Top 10 Data Supporting the Black Pill Movement, 
Now, first of all, I didn't even know there's such a thing as a black pill, right? Because since the whole idea of red pill is based off of the Matrix with like Neo, we had to choose between the blue pill and the red pill. So I have no clue where people got black pill from or where that whole thing came from, but it's a thing. I feel like it's one of those things that, you know, like people feel like a movement isn't extreme enough. Uh, and its ideologies, so like a new branch is kind of created, kind of sprouts off from that, based off the same ideologies, just turned up a little bit, or it can even go like the opposite direction, where it's like, you know, same ideologies, just toned down a little bit, that's how you get offsets of certain movements, so perhaps that's where Blackpool came from, I don't know, anyways, I gave the video a watch, I heard out the dude's points, asked him to talk about it, because <laughs> uh, like the title of the video states, he brings up 10 sets of data to prove essentially the same thing that Red Pill and Empty Tau proves. You know, it shows how shallow and inconsiderate females are. But the thing about that, and my main point that I'm trying to make, is that data can be interpreted in many different ways, right? Just because you use this data to form a conclusion that agrees with your thinking doesn't mean that it's the case that you can for or how can I say it? Like it doesn't mean that that's necessarily the sole conclusion that you can draw from the data, right? You, you can form many different conclusions from the exact same set of data, and that's kind of what we're doing here, <laughs> like point by point, and then just talking about the whole concept as a whole. Uh, so the first data set that he kind of brings up states that. For 18 to 29 year olds in Western countries, there are 105 men to every 100 women, right? Now, I'm not here to dispute numbers, right? I mean, you, you can't really lie about numbers. It's the interpretation of the numbers that I can dispute or talk about, right? Now, he says that this data is a direct counter argument to the notion that there is someone for everyone, because even in a perfect world where everyone finds a relationship and is happy in said relationship, there will always be five men left out. Right? And he continues uh, by saying that you have to factor in that a large portion of the 100 women will most likely not be ideal to date, like being single mothers or overweight, which then furthers the disparity between the amount of available men and available women. So, my counter to that, my counter statement to that is essentially just reiterating his point. <laughs> because just like a large portion of those women are not ideal to date by his standards, you must then assume that a large portion of those men aren't ideal to date as well. Therefore, somewhat leveling out, if not inverting, the disparity between available men and available women. Right? If you if you apply it to one area, it's like it's like a math equation, right? If you affect one side of the equation, you have to do the same effect to the other side of the equation because everything is a balance. And this is literally the equation. 105 men equal 100 women. So whatever you do to the left side of the equation, you have to also do to the right side of the equation. So if you say a big portion of the women aren't ideal to date, you must also then state that a big portion of the men also aren't ideal to date. Thusly, essentially leveling out 
the disparity. Now, of course, if you do it equally, then you would say, okay, well, then there would still be an equal number of more men than women. But if you look at it in the sense that, in the sense of averages, then it would actually level out. <laughs> uh, I mean, averages for 100 compared to 105, small differences, but essentially you get to a balance point for the equation. Uh, now, the second point that he brings up stems somewhat from this first point, and that is about height, right? He brings out a chart for this point, and the chart is essentially like a bell curve almost, uh, but it's comparing the height of a male and the percentage of women that would accept that height, that would find that height suitable uh, to date, right? Now, the peak of this graph is at 72 inches or about six feet, but heights ranging from 68 inches to 78 inches or five and a half feet to six and a half feet are the crest of the curve. So essentially they sit at above 50%. So if you are in this range, then you have an above 50% chance of being considered suitable to be dated by most women. Yeah. <laughs> but then if you go above 78 inches, uh, it kind of drops down, but levels out around 30%. And if you go the opposite direction below 68 inches, uh, then it kind of levels out around 5%. Now, he used this point to say that the height plays a huge part in finding a partner, which, I mean, that's something I really can't speak against, right? Like, like everyone knows this to be the case. And it, it's a shame that one can be judged for something that's out of their control. So, you know, I can give him this point, right? That, you know, okay, height plays uh, a big role in your chances. But, that point, for one, further strengthens my first counter because then out of the 105 men from the first point, not all of them would fit into the crest of the bell curve since the average height is 5.9 for a male, therefore proving that there would be many of those males that would, in theory, not be as suitable as the females that are deemed unsuitable. And in fact, actually, there would be more because since if you're not looking at female sites, because females don't really matter that much in, the whole, in this whole conversation, uh, then it would in fact be more men that would be considered, quote unquote, undesirable out of that 105 to 100 women, which then essentially inverts that whole equation. So, yeah, it essentially counters the first point, but I will say, hey, I mean, this point technically, that's a, that's a fair point, I guess, I'll give him that one. His third point, though, was about race, right? The data he brings out here essentially states that most women prefer white men over any other race, and that's across all races of women except for black women, right? Now, this is a very interesting point because while, yes, the data may be true, but just like about almost all of these points, it's isolating only one aspect of a person and drawing a complete conclusion from that, right? And I can give you a pretty simple reason for why the data would state this, right? That most races prefer white men over any other race, right? When you think of dating someone, you are looking at a person, you're looking at what a person can provide, right? And this goes both ways. Like, 
many times this happens unconsciously. You don't really think about it. But a relationship is essentially a trade agreement. It's a trade of what are you willing to provide for the other person based off of what they can provide for you. That's essentially all a relationship is. And in the Western world, uh, as, as sad as it may be, when you think of someone who's got it, or if you ask someone you know, to think of someone who's got it or a particular race who's got it or whatever and can provide the best, most would conclude a white person, thus leading to the data that most women would prefer to date a white man. But if you remove the context, then you can arrive at his conclusion, which is if you're not white, you're not getting any, or at least you have a significant lower chance of getting any, right? But that is with one moving context. And two, even if you include the context, it still struggles to hold to have strong standing in proving the point. Because like I said before, it's isolating one aspect of a person to form a full conclusion. If you think of it just in the abstract of like, okay, which race can provide the best or whatever, sure, then you can land that whatever prejudices you have, right? But when looking at it subjectively, that's where you get differences because then you're no longer you're no longer considering just one aspect of a person, but then the entirety of a person as a whole, right? That's essentially the counter that I'm bringing to that one. Uh, the next point that he brings up was 95% of Tinder likes go to the top 50% of men, right? Now, first off, this data doesn't kind of sus. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> Not exactly sure where he pulled that data from, but we'll rock with it. It's whatever. He states that this data proves hypergamy, which is, you know, that the vast majority of women even those of lesser attractiveness, you know, only have eyes for the top 50% of men, right? And he says that this proves the significant amount of looks discrimination that men have to face. So if you're a part of that bottom 50% of men, then you are competing for the bottom 5% of women, while the top 50% of men have their choice of the rest, essentially the other 95% of females, Right? Now, once again, <laughs> my counter to this is is really the same that I've been breaking up for almost all these points. If you switch the genders, you arrive at the same conclusion, just for a different gender. If ninety five percent of males go after ninety five oh my goodness, if ninety five percent of females go after fifty percent of males, then those fifty percent of males get into a relationship with a female then that would equate to 50% of the females, thus leaving 50% of females single, along with 50% of males single. If you then say, well, 45% of that 50% of single females won't date anyone in the bottom 50% of men, well, then the same, once again, must be said about males not willing to date the bottom 50% of females. Like, <laughs> you have to apply it. You have to apply your adjustments to both sides. Like I said before, you have to apply it to both sides of the equation. It's, this just goes along with his case or with his argument uh, about hypergamy, right? Like, most males, even those of quote unquote lesser attractiveness, only have eyes for the top 50% of females as well. 
there is a balance to it all. Like when you consider both sides of the situation, you see that there is a balance to everything. He he then goes on to say, you know, that so much of your chances are entirely based on your looks, which once again, everyone knows this. (laughs) Your looks are what attract someone to you in the first place, both for males and females. So yeah, your chances are heavily affected by your looks. And this leads into his next point when he said looks are the biggest indicator of a man's dating success. This point is literally just a rehash of everything he's already said. Like, <laughs> literally every one piece of data he's brought out looks essentially just like this. It's about looks. It's all about looks and attractiveness and whatnot. So this is kind of a mute point by now. I mean, really the rest of his points are mute points because they just reference data and stuff that he's already mentioned before, but a quick breeze through. Because, <laughs> like, they really don't need to get into the thick of all of them, because I'm literally going to start rehashing the same things over and over again. But he brings up the halo effect, right? Which says that people who are attractive are deemed to be, or deemed to have, like, a, a better personality, uh, or, you know, deemed to be more kind, or a better all-around person. And it's actually kind of funny, because I just talked about this <laughs> in the sexy effect episode from last week. So, you know, kind of already referenced this, but the difference between when I talked about it and what he's saying here is that when I talked about it, I talked about it in reference to both males and females, because like I said, it applies both ways. When he brings up this point, what he wants to say, or what he uses this data to conclude is that essentially, if you're not attracted to male, then you're straight out of luck, right? Because... People will just assume you have a bad personality, which is like kind of a pretty harsh conclusion to draw. <laughs> and once again, also, it's a conclusion that doesn't consider all the other aspects that go into picking a partner. Right? There's so many other things that go into it besides one specific aspect. It's more of like a like a long equation, not just a plug and play. Right. And he brings up another piece of data that I thought was kind of dumb. <laughs> but he, he says that babies stare at attractive faces four times longer than unattractive faces, right? And he states that this shows the innate and subconscious bias that all people have towards attractive people. And this is what I mean by say, like, it's just a rehash of all the previous points. Because once again, this is not groundbreaking, nor does this prove a point. We do not decide on what we find attractive. That is built into us. It's in our DNA. It's just how our brains work. We know what we like and what we don't like from the jump, from when we're born, right? So that doesn't necessarily prove anything all that does all that states is that babies understand what they find attractive (laughs) like yes what we find attractive or not attractive it is already innate it is subconscious that's just a human fact it has nothing to do with any any 
shallowness or anything like that. That's just a human biological fact. So, like, you can't pull a point out from that necessarily to to defend your claim there. You really, you really just can't. Uh, and the last point they really brought up was that men over six feet are six times more likely to become a CEO. And then, once again, you have to consider context, right? Psychologically speaking, a man over six feet is more likely to have more confidence or more self-confidence than someone shorter than six feet. That's a psychological thing, right? That confidence then gives a person the reassurance, I guess you could say, to strive for higher positions, to strive to, to, to get to, to get the higher places because they have the confidence that they can get there, right? So yes, there is a correlation between height and success, but there isn't a direct causation between the relationship of height and success because the two sets don't necessarily apply to each other, right? There, there, there's so much more into it that causes that correlation between the two sets, right? So, essentially, just to wrap this up, <laughs> I'll repeat the same sentiment, statements, whatever, that I said in the Red Pill episode. And that is, instead of trying to argue about which gender has it harder, can we just agree that everyone has their own struggle? It doesn't matter what race or gender you are. There is a struggle out there for everyone. It isn't 105 people to 100 struggles. No, there is a struggle for everybody. All right. So let's stop arguing about who has it worse or about which gender is more shallow and just work together to be better people and get through the struggles together. That seems like a more productive solution than what we got going on right now. Like if you've been in a bad relationship with a female, don't say that all women suck because of the one. Just take some time, focus on yourself, become a better version of you, and move on. If you've had a bad relationship with a guy, don't say that all men are trash because of him. Take some time, focus on yourself, become a better version of you, and keep it pushing. Then it won't matter who has more of a struggle because we all would have worked on improving and we all would just be better. Doesn't that just sound better? But if you like this episode, enjoy the podcast, give it a like, get a follow, get a rating, all that good jazz, let me know. That's like, of course, you do like it, share with your friends because good friends, give friends good things and you and be good friends will give your friend a good thing. Give it to that one friend who's heavy on the red pill, MG tell, black pill, any other color pill ideology. <laughs> Uh, if you want to follow social media, at God with a hat on the IGs. And as always, 8 a.m. Eastern, same time, same place, every single day. I hope you have an absolutely amazing day. As always, stay hydrated, drink water, maybe drink some electrolytes, get some smart water or Powerade. It's good for the heat. I'll see you tomorrow.